Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of Activate God's Purpose, where we yield our humanity to God's divinity. Today, let's talk about sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's God who permits the darkness. Sometimes it's God who permits the challenges. He allows them to come into our lives. And for what purpose? Well, the purpose, the reason, the vision, the picture, the mission is different for all of us. The reason why he permits darkness into your life, into my life, or brother's or sister's life, those reasons are different. You know, depends on who you are, um, what he wants to accomplish, why he sees it fit to permit or, or allow that darkness into your life, my life, anyone's life. You know, he's sovereign. He's sovereign and he sees the larger picture. He sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. And um, I truly believe, given the darkness and challenges that I have gone through, that um, he uses the darkness to mold us. A pearl cannot be a pearl unless it's way down in the seabed and it becomes... And it, the shell goes, the oyster goes under hardship and pressure. Insurmountable pressure. And the pearl is discovered. And not every, not every oyster shell, not every oyster can go through that. Only some survive it. So I believe that God knows that there are certain types of darkness, certain types of challenges and troubles that we can survive and that we will survive. And so he uses those challenges, that darkness, that wickedness, that evil, to shape and mold us to become better, better to receive bigger blessings, better to do ministry work, or whatever it is you're called to do, whatever your calling is, whatever your purpose is, he uses it to mold us, right? It's not to punish us. And he knows that it won't kill us. It's not going to drive us crazy. It's not, we're not going to commit suicide. Many times I've asked him, I've said, how did you know? that I was going to go through that. I know, how did you know that I would go through that and survive? But he knew. He knew. And we're going to find that out when we go through the book of Job. God knew his man. He knew his Job. My brother, God knows you. My sister, God knows you. God knows his woman. God knows his man. He's sovereign. He made us. He created us. There are types of pressure that we think that we can't go through, but we can. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they're popularly called, but that's not, you know, their real names. Um, those are the names given to them by King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, 
But they were thrown into the furnace. And they, um, they didn't blink. They did not hesitate. That's pressure. Looking at fire, looking at the fiery furnace and not blinking. Knowing that you're going to be roasted alive and standing there. <laughs> um, that is pressure. That is pressure. But they still did not bow to the king. And they said, whether or not God comes to save us, we're not bowing down to you. But looking at that fire is, is pressure. But God knew. God knew that he would be with them in that fire. He allowed it to happen. It happened. They were thrown in. They were thrown in. And sometimes when God wants to show that he's sovereign to us and to our enemies, he allows a fiery furnace. He permits it to happen. He permits the darkness. He permits the strange fire so he can show that he is consuming fire. That's his name. He is a consuming fire. He allows, he permits the chaos and the storm because he knows that he is peace and he has, he's going to demonstrate to us and demonstrate to the storm that he speaks to the wind. He speaks to the storm. He speaks to the fire. He speaks to whatever it is. He speaks to the flood and they obey because he is I am that I am. He is the Almighty. He is the Most High. He is the all-sufficient God. Doesn't need anything or anyone to survive. That's why he is God. He doesn't need to be created. He is the Creator. That's why he is God. And he can choose to do anything he pleases, whether we like it or not. So when God decides to permit wickedness, evil, challenges, problems, storms, when he permits Satan to appear to have his way in our lives, what do we do? How do we behave? How do we, do we react? What do we say? What actions do we take? And so we're going to read through Job. It's... Um, a lot of scripture, but I, I want to talk less and allow the scriptures to speak to us because then we, it helps us to relate. When we can relate to Job, it helps us to relate to God, to understand him better, to see him through his own word. If I want to really get to know you, I can ask people about you, but I have to come close to you. I have to make up my mind to get to know you. And this man, Job, had lived a life where he did all the right things. He did all the right things. And when calamity hit him, he had all these friends that came around him and came with their wisdom and their philosophies and their thoughts and they condemned him and said, you must have done something against God. And Job was saying, no, I didn't. I followed God by the teeth to the teeth. Um, I don't know why this is happening. And they started saying, oh, can you challenge God? Can you say that he's not sovereign? Can you say that uh, um, you didn't do anything? You mean this, you know, 
People always have their theory about Satan, about your sin, and about how that's why what's happening to you is happening to you. What's happening to me is what's happening to me. No. That's wrong doctrine. Not all the time. This is why I love God. He debunks. God will debunk. He will flatten and scatter man's, man's wisdom, man's thinking, man's opinion, man's uh, um, so-called insight into your life and my life. People who haven't worn our shoes. <laughs> People who haven't been through the floods and the fire that we have been through. And had they been through what we have been through, they may not still be alive, but we survived it. Why? Because God permitted it to happen. If he permitted it, it means that he had our backs. If he permitted it, he knew that we were going to come out whole. He knew that we were going to come out of that fire, of that flood, of that storm and challenge complete. Why? Because we would be more spiritually mature. We would have more character. We would be kinder. We would be nicer people. We would be more insightful spiritually. Our eyes would be open. Our ears would be open. We will be able to look deeper. We will have the ability to look deeper into a situation to see what's really going on, what the root is. We will be transformed and illuminated by these challenges, by these strange fires, by this chaos, by what appeared to be a bad decision, but in actual fact, God allowed it to happen and allowed it to happen for a season. And it wouldn't end when you want it to end. It'll end when he wants it to end because he has it all planned out and he has it all figured out. So let's, let's, let's allow the scriptures to speak to us today. And let's see how real God is. In um, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, it says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. You see, God does permit darkness. He will, in some situations, under certain circumstances, to get a type of result. You know? And, and to build a type of mindset in us, to develop a closer relationship to him, to even be tested. But he will not test us. The Bible says he will not test us beyond what we can take. He will not test us beyond our capacity. So if you're going through the fire right now, the challenge is my brother, my sister. It could be that God permitted it. And if that's the case, rest assured that you will come out whole. You will come out mature. You will come out complete. You will come out a better person. Hallelujah. And so if we also look at um, 2 Corinthians 12, 6 to 9, we see that there are times that God permits these things. He permits the wickedness. He permits the... the uh, um, what Paul calls the thorn in his flesh. And Paul was very honest about it. He talked about it. And um, he described it as God allowed it to be there. Why? So that he, Paul, would not become arrogant. 
So he understood it. He understood the storm. He understood the darkness. He understood the pain. He understood why it was there and why God wouldn't take it away. Because he understood that God had seen something in and about him that would make him arrogant and prideful and cocky. And you know, the Bible says that God keeps the pride far. He keeps the proudful or the prideful far from him. And God doesn't want us to be far from him. God did not want Paul to be far from him. He also says that pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before fall. God did not want Paul to fall. God did not want pride to fill Paul so much that it would take him away from him. And so we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 6 to 9. Let's see. Verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted, warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Paul was getting these great revelations. Paul was popular, and he was saying, I'm not going to boast. Even if I tried to boast, I would be stupid. I would be a fool to try to boast. Just because God is speaking through me, just because God has given me these revelations, doesn't mean that I should become arrogant. It says, but I refrain so no one will think of me more than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great, surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. It was given a thorn in his flesh, it's not that he had a thorn in his flesh. People preach that Paul had a thorn in his flesh. No, he was given the thorn in his flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. He says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's, Christ's power may rest on me. Paul said, okay, if, that, if that's what it takes to keep me humble, if this thorn, if this storm is what it takes to keep pride, arrogance, self-idolatry, people, idolize, people idolizing me, if that's what it takes, then so let it be, O oh God. If that's what it takes for the power of Jesus Christ and not another power to rest on me, then so let it be. If that, that's what it takes to continue to get these revelations about who you are, Lord, and preach them and teach them so people will know you, people will come to you, then so let it be, O oh God. He was given, given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. I've seen preachings and teachings and heard them where people are saying, you know, Paul had this thing in his side as if Paul was sinning or as if um, uh, Paul put the thorn there. It was a habit or something he had. But he says it was something that was sent and God permitted it. He allowed it to happen 
Second Corinthians 12. There's something I want to emphasize on that. So I just need to go back because I hate to um, misquote scripture. Let me say it properly to you. He says, where are we? I'm looking for it says it was sent. Therefore, verse 7, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given. See, he was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Whatever that thorn was, it wasn't uh, described fully and openly as what we're going to read, as what happened to Job. And I mean, what happened to Job is just indescribable. But sometimes God permits the darkness. God will permit the oppression. God will permit the storm. God will permit the, the wickedness, the, the, the evil. Is it because he doesn't love us? No, quite the contrary. He loves us so much. But God, you know, he takes emotions out of the picture and he does what he has to do so that we can become this gold, this pearl that he wants us to be. He knows that we are. It'll take the fire and the flood to mold us into vessels of honor to take us to a place from where all we do is hear about him to a place where now we get to know him. Now we have a relationship with him, but it's going to take the storm to build that relationship. It's going to take that place, as we say, between the devil and the deep blue sea, a rock and a hard place, to not just have heard about him, but to know him personally. And it's painful. It's, it's downright brutal. It hurts. It, it's agonizing. It's anguish. We'll see as Job describes it. But when we go through it, when we come out of it, as evidenced by those of us who've been through such anguish, we're so much better. We're so much better people. Oh my goodness, we have um, so much more peace through the storms. We have so much more wisdom in, in, in um, tricky situations. We have so much more strength when we're supposed to be weak and beaten down. We, we stand, you know, and we remain standing. And we know whose we are. And it's no longer someone trying to describe God to us, but we actually know him now. It's no longer someone trying to persuade us about him. But now we know him. Now we see him. Now we hear him. So let's go to Job. Job chapter 1, verse 6 says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? You see, God himself asked Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
It wasn't Satan who went to God and said, give me your servant Job. It was God who raised Job's name. And God continues to say, there's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Then verse 9, Satan asks God, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him? and his household, and everything he has. Satan says, but of course he fears you. Why? Because you're protecting him, and he knows it. Why wouldn't he fear you? You know, God, that's not a fair question. You want me to consider dealing and hurting Job, but then at the same time, you're saying he's upright, and that he fears you and shuns you, but how is that a fair question when obviously you're protecting him? You're protecting him. He says, You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, then he says to God, now he challenges God. He says, you're saying he's upright. You're saying he fears you and he shuns evil. But in verse 11, Satan says to God, but now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So Satan takes God on, and God says to, uh, to Satan in verse 12, The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he, has in your pa- everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. <laughs> okay, Satan, I'll take the hedge, but you did not give Job life. You don't get to take his life, but I'll remove the hedge. Of protection and you can do to him as you please attack him in any way blow that storm bring chaos to his life bring sickness disease bring lack and poverty bring any and everything bring all you got Satan and dump it all on Job hold nothing back but the one thing you cannot and you will not do is take his life so God permitted Satan right He started the conversation, not Satan. And Satan says, but yeah, of course he's going to be afraid of you. You're the one protecting him. He's going to revere you. He's going to worship you. He's going to thank you. He's going to see you as God because you protect him. Let's see what happens when I hurt him. Let's see what happens when I burn him. Let's see what happens when I cause floods when I cause him to be broken and scattered, when I cause death in his family. Let's see what happens. Let's see if he'll still worship you. Let's see if he'll still worship you and follow you when I take away all his wealth, everything he owns, when I take away his children, when I cause his wife to mock him. Let's see if he'll still worship you. Let's see if he'll still bow to you, God. God said, okay, go ahead. But you have no permission to take his life. You see, Satan does not have permission to take your life. Hold on to God and you don't take your life. It's for a season. So we're still reading, um, we're still reading chapter 1. Let's jump to verse 20. When the calamity started happening, the Bible says in verse 20, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. 
Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Another translation says, Not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. Job's first reaction was to fall on the, on the ground and worship God. When he heard that his cattle, his sons and daughters, his family had been, had been uh, uh, um, destroyed, killed, his wealth taken away, first thing he did was to worship God. To be able to do that, <laughs> it's got to be a person who has walked with God. It's got to be a person who you've gone just you've gone beyond believing in him. You've gone beyond accepting salvation. Now you actually have a relationship with him to be able to withstand what happened to Job. And we're going to see how Job continues to express himself because I want you to see the humanity. We've been taught, especially in church, that everything is Satan, everything is sin, everything is a flesh. We've been taught to not open up and, and express our very, very raw emotions to God, to Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's been made an, an anathema. It's, it's, it's like, oh, how dare you say that to God? How dare you talk to God this way? You don't have faith. You don't have hope. No, that's wrong. I have hope, I have faith, but I'm hurting. The brother has hope, the brother has faith, but he's hurting. The sister has hope, the sister has faith, but she's hurting. It hurts. It hurts. And while God will not get carried away by our emotions, he knows our grief. And it's okay to grieve. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to tell him that it hurts. Okay, so let's look at Job chapter 2. We'll read from verse 3 to 10. Then the Lord said to Satan, I'm sorry. Um, we've read that. We've read that. Okay, let's read that anyway. Job chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 3 to 10. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. God continues to praise Job. A man who fears God and shuns evil. And he will maintain, and, and he, still, he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. See, so God is saying in chapter 3 to Satan that Job will maintain his integrity. Job is an upright man. He's blameless. He fears God. So this wasn't about Job sinning. This wasn't about Job, uh, um, Job's flesh. This wasn't about Satan uh, um, taking over Job's life or wickedness, taking over Job's life or Job opened a door to Satan. No. This is God <laughs> saying to Satan, this is my man. 
And I'm going to allow you to put him through. This is my girl. I'm going to allow you to put her through. But when you do, he will maintain his integrity. When you do, she will maintain her integrity. God is boasting about you right now. I know it hurts, but God is boasting about you right now. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Satan had no reason. There was no reason. Job had not given Satan any legal ground. As we like to say in Christianity, um, we say to people, you, get, you must have given the devil legal ground. Somehow, somewhere, you must have given the devil legal ground. No, it was none of that. It said you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. There was no reason. And then Satan says in verse 4, Skin for skin, Satan replied, A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So God tells him again, you must spare his life. But something interesting in verse 4, Job chapter 3 verse 4, look at it. Even Satan could not stretch out his hand to strike Job with, his, with, with, with boils to make him sick. He says to God, he says in verse 5, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan gave God the instruction he said, well, you go ahead, let's see what happens. And let's see if Job will not curse you to your face. And God says, okay, fine, go ahead. I permit you to do the evil, but you must spare his life. Verse seven, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself, my God scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. You see how Satan now comes and talks to the, the wife. Remember, God had boasted to Satan that Job, no matter what, will maintain his integrity. Satan even said to God, when you afflict him, when you allow me to afflict him, he will curse you and die. And all those words come together through the mouth of Job's wife. In verse 9, his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? She mocks him, you know. Curse God and die. And if Job had done that, he would have lost his integrity. And Satan would have mocked God and taken Job's life. If I might add that. So verse 10. He replied, Job replies to his wife, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? A lot of us want good from God, but we don't want trouble from God. This is a man, a heart, a soul, a mind sold out to God, sold out to him. Do, should we only take good things from God? 
What about when he gives us trouble, when he allows trouble, when he permits trouble? What do we do then? Do we go down on our knees and worship him like Job did? His first reaction was to worship him even when his children were taken away from him. Do we just accept good? We only want to see the good side of God. What happens when he allows trouble, when he permits darkness? Is he still not God? Hallelujah. Let's go to Job chapter 3. We really, really see now that Job's humanity kicks in as the pain, the agony, the anguish of what has happened to him kicks in. It sets in and, and, and the pain is just too much. And I'm reading this because a lot of us feel this way. And when I was going through anguish, reading Job, it, I couldn't find the words to express my agony. And reading Job helped me to express my pain to God. So I took his word. I took the Bible, his own word, it, which is you know this Job chapter 3. And I said, God, <laughs> this is your word. This is in the Bible. This is Job expressing himself. So here I am as well expressing myself through Job's words, which are in your book, the Bible. Job chapter 3, it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He didn't curse God. He cursed the day of his birth. He said, and have you, have you sometimes felt that way? People say things like, I wish I had never been born. Why was I born? That's what that means. It's so real. I tell people the Bible is so real. Anything and everything you are going through, have ever been through, will ever go through, there's something in the Bible for that situation or circumstance. Any environment you ever find yourself in, there's something in the Bible to describe that environment and circumstance. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. So chapter 3, verse 3, as we continue to read chapter 3. May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said, a boy is conceived, that day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May, may no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. Oh my goodness. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. So Job is saying, this is too hard. This is too difficult. I cursed the day I was born. Let light nothing shine upon it. Let that day be black and overwhelming. He says, he said, let, it, let it have no months, no years, no weeks. Let it be barren. Why? Because that day allowed me 
to see the light of day. That day that I was born allowed me to be born. Why did that day allow me to be born? I cursed I curse the day I was born. It says in verse 9, May its mornings, morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain. May the day that he was born not see daylight. Why was I born, he's asking. Why did that day ever come? It says, and not see the first rays of dawn, for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me. Why did the day I was born shut the doors so that I would not be born? I would not be born so that I would not have to undergo this kind of anguish. Why didn't the day I was born hide me from the trouble that I'm going through now? Why did it allow me to be birthed? Verse 11, why did I not perish at birth, Jesus, and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me? Why did my mother's knees receive me? Why did my father's knees receive me? Or whoever received me at birth, why did they receive me? And breasts that I might be nursed. Why were there breasts to give me milk? Why was I breastfed? Why was I nourished and nurtured? For now I would be lying down in peace. If all that hadn't happened, if I hadn't been born, I'd be lying, lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with princes who had gold. Why didn't I just die at birth and be buried is what he's saying. Why? Was I nurtured? Why was I breastfed? Why was I kept alive? First of all, why was I born? Curse the day I was born. This is what he's saying. And now he's saying, and then I got born, and now I got put on someone's knees to, to, to you know, give me joy and lullaby me and all that good stuff. And then they nurse me. But if they had just left me to die, I'd be dead. I'd be in the grave with kings. 16. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child? Why wasn't I born stillborn? Why wasn't a still why wasn't I a stillborn child? Where I'd be birthed, yes, but I'd be put into the grave. No breast milk, no knees, no nourishing. Then I wouldn't have to go through what I'm going through today, is what he's saying. He says, ground like a stillborn like an infant who never saw the light of day. Why didn't that happen? He's asking these real questions. And these are questions that we've all asked in some, fa- in some way, shape, or the other. We have asked these questions, if we want to be honest, in our most anguishing moments, in our most agonizing moments, when we're grieving, when we've experienced tragedy, or when we're deeply angry and hurt. In verse 20, still chapter 3, it says, Why is light given to those in misery and bitter and life to the bitter soul? To the bitter of soul. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? You know, and that's why some people commit suicide because they're like, like, why are they seeing light? In fact, as far as they're concerned, there's no more light. Leave, 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 leave them in their misery. That's what they want. They don't want to see the light. They don't want to get up in the morning. 
is dark depression. It says, and live to the bitter of soul, you know, and people are alive, but they're so bitter, they're so hurt that they're saying, why is, why do I still have life? Why am I still breathing? Verse 21, to those who long for death, that does not come. There are people who are longing for death. They're unable to commit suicide, but they're longing that for death, that in some way, shape or form, that they will die. And they're asking, why am I alive? Why am I still alive? Why won't death come and take me? And it says, who search for it more than for hidden treasure? They search for death more than hidden treasure. They search for death more than hidden treasure. Who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. They, they, they actually are happy to die. They invite death. They invite the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. He says, sighing, weeping, crying have become his daily food. He says, my groans pour out like water. He groans every second. He groans every minute. God has permitted darkness into his life. God has permitted darkness into his life to test his integrity, to prove to Satan that I still have people on this earth who no matter what they go through, they will continue to serve me. They will maintain their sonship, their daughtership with me, God. And Job is groaning. He's groaning. He says, my groans pour out like water. He says, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. He has only turmoil. God permitted the turmoil. There's no rest, no peace, no quietness for Job. You see his humanity. So you're not alone in what you're going through. You're not alone in what you're feeling. And Job is groaning. His groans are poured out like water. He's feeling it. Let's read Job chapter 6 from verse 1 to 4. Then Job replied, you know, and here, you know, his friends Eliphaz and uh, all these people have come around him and, and, and just talking a lot and giving all kinds of theories and philosophies. And, 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 and Job starts to respond to them. You know, there's Bildad, there's uh, 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 um, Eliezer, or Eliphaz, you know. And so they come to visit him. And then they start putting blame on him and start trying to convince Job that he did something wrong. And Job said, what did I do wrong? This is happening, you know, God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing or why he's allowing this to happen, but I didn't do anything wrong. And they tried to convince him to say that it's because he was sinning and because he did something wrong. And he stood his ground. I really admire him for standing his ground and saying, I know I didn't do anything wrong. I know I did not allow Satan. I did not give him legal ground for this to happen to me. I know that I am a man of integrity and uprightness. And sometimes people will make you feel, they will convince you that you did something wrong. They will convince you 
that it's Satan. When in actual fact, it's God who allowed Satan. Satan couldn't put the balls on, on God. He said to God, he said, I mean, on, on, on Job, he could not put the balls on Job. He said to God, you stretch out your hand and you do it. And then God gave him the permission to afflict Job. You see, so chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. If only my anguish, Job, then Job replied. Hmm. If only my anguish, he's replying to his friends. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales. If only people could understand the weight of your agony, the weight of your pain, the weight of your anguish, the weight of your grief. If only they could understand it. He says, if only I could measure for you the level of my grief, if I could put it on the scales. Verse 3, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. Oh, Jesus. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. Jesus. God's terrors are marshaled against me. My goodness, do you see that? He faces reality. He says, this has only got to come from God. This has got to come from the one who protects me because I know his hedge was around me. I know he protected me and my children. I know he protected my soul, my heart, my soul, my body, and that of my children. I know he protected my wealth. So for this to happen to me, he has a hand in it. It must be him. It can't be anybody else. There's no way anybody else has that kind of power over my life. There's no way anybody else has or anything else has that kind of authority over my life. It's got to be God. It's in verse 4, he says, the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass? Or an ox bellow when it has fodder? No. Is tasteless food eaten without salt? Or is there flavor in the sap of the mallow? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. Right? So he's, he, he has become tasteless. He has become unwanted. He is ruined. Would you eat food that was tasteless? Would you want it? Would you even want it near you? No, you wouldn't. He has become tasteless. He says even he, in verse 7, he says even he would refuse to touch it. And that's how he's feeling about himself. That's what he sees is, has happened to him. He has become tasteless. He has become ugly. He has become sick. He has become poisoned by the arrows of God. His spirit is drinking in the poison from the arrows of God. In verse 8, he says, Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me. He said, God, crush me now. 
Just, just, he said, you know, you, we, we've heard the expression when we say, God, just kill me now. This is too much. This is too much. Kill me now. This is too much. But of course, God doesn't kill us. He won't kill us. But he won't give in, give in to our cries because there's a bigger picture. There's a much bigger picture, my brother, much bigger picture, my sister. And he goes to say, verse 9, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut off my life. God just cut my life off right now. The suffering is too much. Verse 10, then I would still have this consolation, my joy in an unrelenting pain that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Cut me off now, God. Kill me now, God, so that I will go to the grave. I will die with this consolation that even with this unrelenting pain, even with this grief, my joy would be that I never denied you. Do it now, Lord. Take my life now before I deny you so that I don't deny you, so that I go to the grave still worshiping you, still bowing down to you. My goodness. Verse 11, he says, What strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient? Do I have the strength of stone? Is my flesh bronze? Do I have any power to help myself now that success has been driven from me? Everything's been taken from him. He says, I have nothing left. I have no power left. I'm not a stone that I can't feel anything. I'm not bronze that my flesh cannot feel anything. What, what, what hope do I have left? What strength do I have left to have any hope? Verse 14, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. His friends were being unkind to him in a moment like that with their words and their human wisdom and their lack of insight. If only one of them, one of them had seen that, wait a minute, this is God allowing these poisoned arrows into Job's life. If one of them understood it, their words would have been different, but they didn't understand. They couldn't discern. Like Jesus would say, in seeing, they did not see. In hearing, they did not hear. In Job chapter 7, starting from verse 11, it says, Therefore, I will not keep silent. This is Job. I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. Jesus, I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. Let me talk. Let me talk my pain out. Let me talk my frustration out. Let me talk my irritation out. Let me talk my agony out. Let me talk my pain out. Let me talk. Let me speak out in anguish. He says, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. See, there's a time to be bitter. There's a time to feel bitter. Why? Because the, 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 uh, the, the poison coming out of the arrows of God are too much. It's too agonizing. And he says, Am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under guard? 
When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions. Job is saying, God, you've hurt me physically. You've killed my, you've allowed my children to be killed. You've allowed me to be hurt physically. You've allowed Satan to put sickness on me. You've allowed all these things. You've allowed Satan to take away my, my wealth. Now, even when I want to sleep, when I lay my head down, just if I could just get some respite, I close my eyes still. I don't have no rest. I have no rest whatsoever. I have nightmares, dreams that frighten me, visions that terrify me. And he says in verse 15, so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. He says, I would rather be strangled. I'd rather death take over me rather than have this body, rather than be in this situation. In verse 16, he says, I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. Leave me alone. My days have no meaning. Physically, I'm tortured. Spiritually, I'm tortured. Emotionally, I'm tortured. Mentally, I'm tortured. In my sleep, I am tortured. No rest. What is this? So we'll stop um, in verse, or let me see what the, uh-huh, I'm sorry. So Job says, let's read from verse 18. Yeah, let's do from verse 20. <clears throat> now, so he asks um, a question in verse 19. He says, will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? He says, don't I even get a break? Wouldn't I even just get a breather, just, just a couple of seconds, just a day, just a minute, just to have some respite? Can't I even have that? And then he says in verse 20, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? Oh, Jesus, he's asking God. He says, if I have sinned, what is it? What is the sin that would, would cause you to allow such darkness and wickedness and evil to overwhelm me, to encompass me. Why? To surround me, to eat at my life. What did I do, God? He says to God, he, then he says to God, you, you who see everything we do. He asks him, he says, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything we do. Sometimes we ask God that question. What did I do? Okay, if I did this, did that, have mercy, have mercy on me. Have mercy, God. And then he continues to say to God, he asks him, why have you made me your target? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Do you not love me anymore, God? Have I become a burden to you? Verse 21, why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. Says God, why do you not pardon my offenses? Okay, if I have sinned, if I have offended you, why won't you forgive me? Why won't you forgive me? Why this pain? Why this torture? Why not bring death upon me? 
Do you see? Are you relate, relating to Job? Can you see the agony that he's going through? Can you feel the agony that he's going through? Let's go to Job chapter 9. From verse 1, a couple of... I may have to do a part 2 of this because it's pretty long, but it's important for us to understand this thing. Job chapter 9. Then Job replied, This is after Bildad had given his own speech. Gracious me. Job says, Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? How can I prove my innocence before God? I mean, he's God. Who can be holier than God, right? (laughs) Who can go before God and say, I'm perfect? None of us. So he's asking Bildad, so what do you want me to do? You want me to go into God's, God's courts and say what? How does one defend themselves to God? I'll cry for forgiveness if I've, if I've offended him. But how do I go and prove my innocence to him? Because not one of us is good, right? All of us have something in and about us that's not perfect. Even when we, 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 we follow God to the teeth, even when we try our best to be pure, <laughs> it takes the Holy Spirit. So Job is saying, you know, okay, so yeah, let's say I have sinned. Let's say there is some sort of sin in me. How do I go to God, a mere mortal man, to the sovereign God and say to him, look, I'm innocent. He says, though they wished to dispute with him, he says, But how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God, though they wished to dispute with him? They could not answer him on time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from from its place and makes makes, makes its pillars tremble. This is God. He says, how do you go and speak to someone like that? Do you go and stand in front of him and face him and accuse him and tell him that you didn't sin? You didn't do anything wrong? He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the beer, of the beer and, the, and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. If he snatches away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God does not restrain his anger. Even the cohorts of Rahab cowered at his feet. How then can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. All I can do is plead for mercy. How am I going to argue with such a sovereign, powerful God? How am I going to argue with a God who even the constellations, the seas, the stars, the light, the moon, everything bows to him? Who can restrain God's anger if he's angry? 
Who can overturn them? He shakes the earth and puts it into place. And he makes the pillars of the earth tremble. How do you go and argue a case with him? He says, what I will do though, I will ask for mercy. God, he's smart. He's very smart. He said, I'm not going to challenge God. I'm not going to challenge him. But this is what I will do. I'll plead for mercy. So my brother, my sister, whatever is going on right now, don't try to justify it. Don't try to even understand it. Just plead for mercy. Ask God for mercy. Don't be prideful. Be like Job and say, like in verse 20, Job says, even if I were innocent, even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. So best thing to do is to do what? Verse 15, ask God for mercy. Ask him for mercy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I know it's not easy. It's no joke going through that level of pain. And we have all these questions for God. But sometimes it's best to not even, don't even try to argue. Don't ask him. Just plead for mercy. Plead for mercy because he knows the deeper things that you can never understand, that I can never understand. And Job is saying, instead of going and facing God and putting my mouth in my foot, getting myself into more trouble, why don't I just go to him? Instead of me facing him, as if I'm absolutely blameless, even if I think I'm innocent. By the time I'm arguing with God, I will make me guilty. So rather than argue with God, I'll try to say to him, why did you do this to me? I'll ask him for mercy. And it says in um, chapter 9, verse 32, he is not a mere mortal like me. This is Job still talking about God. He is not a mortal. He is not a mere mortal like me, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other. God is not human. I can't take God for granted. I can't bring God to my level. That we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us. If only there was someone who understood what was going on. To, to plead my case to God. Someone to bring us together. Someone who would know how to, to bring me back to God and God back to me. Because maybe, maybe just maybe, even if though I think I haven't sinned, even though I think I haven't done something wrong, and even though I don't understand what's going on, maybe that person has deeper understanding. Maybe that person has walked so deeply with God that he or she can bring God and I together so God will have mercy on me. And he says, Job continues to say, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. So his friends come around him. None of them. They're speaking grammar. They're talking 
all kinds of English and vocabulary, all kinds of theories and philosophies, but none of them, none of them can bring him closer to God, can bring God closer to him. He feels completely separated from God. He fears God. He reverences God. And he knows that this is beyond plain human strength. It's going to take more. It's going to take someone filled with God. It's going to take someone filled with the Holy Spirit. It's going to take someone filled with Jesus. If at all there were a person who could come and, 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 and break that abyss or abyss between him and God. Someone who could meet him and God in the place, in the valley, in the darkest place and bring light to it. Many people like to give their theories. Many people like to give their philosophies. But can they? Do they have the power to, the compassion, the love, the mercy to stand in the gap, stand in the valley and bring us closer to our God in our time of anguish? No, most people are quick to say, you must have done something or she did something or he did something. Oh, God is angry at him. God is angry at her. Oh, you know why? It's because she did this, this, this. Oh, you know why? It's because he did that, that, that. And all of it is wrong. Oh, it's because of the family she comes from. Oh, it's because of the family he comes from. Oh, you know who he used to be? You know who she used to be? You know what she used to do? You know what he used to do? Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about her. And they gossip and rip the person apart behind their backs. Or they come in the person's face like Job's friends did and start to tell him, you, you, you did something to God. And Job is saying, right now, all I need so that God's terror, his terror that is frightening me will go away. All I need right now so that I can speak to God without fear. All I need now, so that this pain and anguish could stop, is a genuine person who will stand with me in this darkness and cry out to God for me, someone whose voice God will hear because their voice is filled with pleading on my behalf, mercy on my behalf, Compassion on my behalf. Grace on my behalf. He says, if only, verse 33, Job 9, 33, if only there were someone to, medi to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Jesus, someone to bring God and I back together again. Because why... Am I experiencing this terror? What did I do to God that he would frighten me so much? What did I do to God that he would permit and allow such anguish and pain? Hallelujah. I will stop here and make a part two because it's a lot. Perhaps I should continue. Let me continue and see how far I can go with this. In Job chapter 10, Job continues to say, I loathe my very life. 
Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint. He says, now I'm just going to talk because I can't hold it back anymore. And he says, and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. God, tell me what I did. What did I do? Then he says to God, listen to this, Job 10.3. He says, does it please you to oppress me? To spurn the works of your hands? Does it please you, God? Verse 4, he says, Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as mortals see? Are your days like those of a mortal? Or your years like those of a strong man? That you must stretch out my faults and probe after my sin? You see, he's saying, God, are you a human being? Because this is what we human beings will do. They stretch out the faults of their companions. They stretch out other people's faults and probe after their sin and blame them and crush them. And he's saying, God, that is not you. You are not petty like that. You are not a mere mortal. You're more than that. You're beyond that. So tell me, what did I do? Why are you oppressing me? Then in verse 7, it says, Though you know that I am not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand. God, you know that. In verse 8, your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Verse 12, you gave me life and showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. Verse 15, if I am guilty, woe to me. Even if I am innocent, I cannot lift my head, for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. Verse 18, why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before my eyes saw me. I, I wish I had died before I saw myself, is what he's saying. Verse 19, if only I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Number two, Verse 20, still um, Job 10, verse 20. Are not my days few almost over? Are not my few days almost over? Turn away from me so I can have a moment's joy. Say, God, stop, stop. Stop this pain. Let me at least have some joy. Stop this terror. Stop frightening me. Verse 21. Before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom and utter darkness, to the land of deepest night, of utter darkness and disorder, where even the light is like darkness. Before I go to such a place, where even the light is as darkness, the place of utter darkness and disorder, to the land of the deepest night. Give me respite. Okay, so even if you condemn me and judge me and send me to such a place, can I just have a moment of peace, a moment of joy? Even if I have to go through this, even if you've allowed it, give me some respite. Give me a break. Give me a breather. This is too much. This is way too much. Why keep me alive and torture me? Why keep me alive and hurt me? In ch um, chapter 13, 15 to 24, he says, 
Let's see. Yes, Job 13, 15 to 24. He says, Though he slay me. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Hmm. Let me um, go back a little bit. Verse 10, Job chapter 13, verse 10. He would surely call you to account if you secretly showed partiality. Verse 11, would not his splendor terrify you? Would not the dread of him fall on you? Verse 12, your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. He's telling his friends, everything you're saying is trash. Everything you're saying does not hold water. Everything you're saying does not make sense. Not in this situation. All your wisdom, all your defenses, everything, and some of them even try to defend God. And, and, and <laughs> Job, Job is saying you lack understanding. And because you lack understanding of what's really happening, everything you're saying does not pertain to my condition and my situation. You all don't understand. Stop talking. You don't understand the relationship between me and my God. Even though, yes, he has terrified me, he has frightened me, he has made me feel like I want to die, he has made me curse the day that I was born. You, you all still don't understand that this is my God, this is my Jesus, this is my Holy Spirit. I am not going to turn my back on him. I will hold on to him. Never mind I have complained. Never mind I am terrified. Never mind I can't have any respite. I can't even have a moment of joy. Never mind I'm frightened at night and I have nightmares at night. He is still sovereign. He is still my God. So here's, here, listen to what Job says in chapter 13, verse 13. He says, keep silent and let me speak. Then let then let come to me what may. Leave me to talk. And then whatever happens to me happens. Because I'm sold out to God. He's my God. I can't fight him. I can't stand in his courts and defend myself. There's nobody standing in the valley of pain with me to speak up for me. All you all are talking what? Philosophy. Human wisdom. Verse 14. Why do I put myself in jeopardy? And take my life in my hands. You see, I, even I can't save myself. Even I cannot save myself. You can't save me. I can't save myself. And here it is, brothers. Here it is, sisters. Here it is, listener. So you understand that this man really, really knew his God. He said in verse 15, Job thirteen fifteen. He said, though he slay me. Though he slay me. Yet I will hope in him, though he tortures me, though he allows darkness to come and bring sickness and death upon me, upon my children, upon all I have. Though he allowed my wealth taken away and now I am poor, my health taken away and now I'm sick. Though he did that, though he frightened and terrorized me, allowed Satan to hurt me beyond words. He says, I will surely defend my way to his face. He says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
for no godless person would dare come before him. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Can anyone accuse me of anything? No, nobody could accuse Job of wrongdoing. If you continue to read the scripture, you will see that he really didn't do anything. He didn't go out of his way to hurt people. He wasn't mean. He, he wasn't arrogant. He wasn't cocky. He was all about serving God, doing good to people, and taking care of his family. That was Job's life. And he's saying, but you know what? Even if God slays me, I will still hope in him. I'll still say, I'll still speak my heart out to him. So my brother, pour out your heart to him. Speak your heart out to him. And in Job chapter 14, verse 13, it says, If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. Job is saying to God, you know what? You're so angry with me right now. You've sent this dark, 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 dark darkness into my life. Since you're not killing me, for me to be able to sustain the terror you've allowed in my life, can you at least hide me in the grave so that you can conceal me from yourself, conceal me from your anger? So Job, <laughs> he knew that not him, not anybody could appease God or could take away this darkness right? He had come to that conclusion. He had come to that conclusion. And so he's saying to God, okay, so since this is your anger, since this is your terror, and none, nobody can withstand your terror, why don't you have mercy? Why don't you hide me from yourself? I mean, the man really knew how to talk to God. He really, really knew how to talk to God. And if you go to Job 16, verse 1 to 6, he says, I have heard many things like these, you are miserable comforters. He tells his friends, you guys are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you, but my mouth would encourage you. He says, you all, I would, if I were in your place, if you were in my place, I would encourage you. I would comfort you and bring you relief. But all you all are doing is talking, is arguing, expounding, showing off. Who, who has a much more long-winded speech than, another, than the other? Who's speaking wisdom and who isn't? You're just showing off. Leave me alone. And he says, and yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved. And if I refrain, it does not go away. If I say something, it my pain is still here. If I don't say anything, my pain is still here. He says to God, wow, Job 16, 7, surely God, you have worn me out. You have devastated my entire household. You have shriveled me up and it has become a witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. You see, He says in verse 12, all was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by, by the neck and crushed me. 
This is Job describing what God has done to him. Seized me by the neck and crushed me. And in verse 17, he says, Yet my hands have been free of violence, and my prayer is pure. Verse 19, Even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high, my intercessor is my friend, as my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. He has an intercessor. We have an intercessor in heaven. Our intercessor is Jesus. That's why when you're going through what Job is going through, when you're going through what he's going through, maybe not as much, maybe worse, maybe exactly the same, whatever your situation is, there is an intercessor for us, Jesus. Jesus, who will intercede for us. Call out to him. And he will answer you and he will intercede because it is he, it is only him at the end of the day whose blood was shed for us to appease God, for God to have mercy. So Job turns to the intercessor, the one who sits at the right hand of God to intercede for us. Hmm. Allow Jesus to intercede for you. This is no joke. There are times when nobody can do anything for you but Jesus. There are times when God will hear no one but Jesus. He has to look up on the blood so that his anger, his terror will not destroy us because we sin every day. He looks on the blood of, on the blood of Jesus, hears the intercession of Jesus and has mercy upon us. We cannot take God for granted. Job did not take God for granted. Job 17.7, we're almost there. Thank you for sticking through and um, continuing with me. We might as well finish at this point. Job chapter 17, verse 7. Thank you for your patience. He says, Job says, My eyes have grown dim with grief. My whole frame is but a shadow. That's describing some of us, how we feel or what we felt when we were going through. We cried so much, we hurt so much that our eyes burnt, our eyes swole up with grief, with our tears. In Job 19, verse 1 to 10, Job says to God, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shame, no, I'm sorry, that's not God. He's not talking to God. He's talking to his friends. And he's saying, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? You know, they're not there to comfort him. They're there to show off. Have you ever been in grief or in a place of grief where people are genuinely grieving and you just have certain people who think that they have to expound on the situation as if that's the time to do so? It's so heartless, so thoughtless, so insensitive. And Job says, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? Sometimes, you know, agony, you don't want to hear anyone talking. They, they can sit with you, feel their presence, but you don't want the words because there aren't any words to describe how you feel. And the more people talk, the more irritated you get because the pain is too much. It says, ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. Verse four, if it is true that I have gone astray, 
My error remains my concern alone. He said, leave me alone. Okay, fine. Judge me, condemn me. That's your business. But so if I committed the sin, then I committed the sin. What is your problem? Why are you making it fodder for gossip? How, how is it your business? How is it your place to talk about it, to make conversations about it and lecture me about it? If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, Lord Jesus, have you ever been humiliated and people are using it against you? He says, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. (sighs) He says, though I call for help, there's no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. That is, God has blocked his way so he cannot pass. He has stripped me off my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. Now Job really understands what's going on. And in verse 7, this is chapter 19, verse 7. He says, my breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. But when you keep going down, you see a man who has walked with God. You see a man who has hope. He says in verse 25, Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I, will see, I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. He still yearns for God. He still yearns for him. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. No matter what terror and fear he has put me through. He has allowed to happen to me. I know he lives. And in my flesh, I will see God. I will see him. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. After everything that happened to Job, his heart is still yearning to see God. Oh, hallelujah. My goodness. And we go to Job 23, chapter 23. We're almost there. Almost there. Thank you for your patience. Job 23, verse 2 to 5. Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. In other words, I just want to hear his voice. I just want to hear what God has to say. So even today, I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to keep complaining. In spite of my groaning, he's still, his hand is still heavy on me. So I know that he lives. I know my Redeemer lives. 
but his hand is still heavy on me. And I wish I could talk to him. I wish I could hear his voice. I wish I could see him. And I wish I could hear what he has to say, how he would respond to the questions I have. It's okay to have questions for God. In verse 8, it says, But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Verse 10, But he knows the way that I take. I may not see God. I may not see him in this darkness. But he knows the way that I take. My brother, God knows the way that you take. My sister, God knows the way that you take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Oh, hallelujah. Let me read that to you again. Job 23 verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. When he has tested you, you will come forth as gold. Yes, right now you're not seeing him. Yes, yet right now you're not hearing him. It doesn't matter where you go. East, west, south, north. You can't find him. And if you go further down, Job says in verse 12, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than any daily bread, more than my daily bread. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. So do you know his word? Because the way to treasure the words of his mouth more than your daily bread is to know the word of God, is to know your Bible. There you will find him. In verse 17, still chapter 3, verse 17. Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. He refuses to be silent. He says in verse 16, God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Verse 17, yet I am not silenced by the darkness. I will not allow this darkness to silence me. I will cry out to my God. I will speak to him even when I don't see him, even when I don't hear him because I know that my, 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 my Redeemer liveth. I know that Jesus is interceding for me. I know that the Holy Spirit is looking out for me. I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. No way. I'm going to fight my way through this even when I can't see God. I know that he's my Redeemer. In chapter 27, Job 27, verse 1 to 6. Hallelujah. 27, verse 1 to 6. He says, As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has, who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me. You see, he says, the Almighty who has made my life bitter. Not Satan made his life bitter. Not people made his life bitter. But God himself made his life bitter. As long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you are in the right. He's talking to his friends now. You are not going to make me admit to something I did not do. I will maintain. Here it comes. Remember, the challenge was that Job would maintain his integrity and he wasn't there during that conversation between God and Satan. But here's what he says. I will, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. 
My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. They wanted his conscience to reproach him. They wanted him to blame himself. They wanted him to say, yes, I have sinned. Yes, I did this. This is why God is punishing me. He said, no, I will not do that. My integrity, my conscience will not allow me to do so. That would be a lie in itself. You see? And he says, now you're telling me to lie. I'm not going to lie. Because you want to feel good by having me admit that yes, I'm a sinner, that I did something wrong when I didn't do anything wrong. All I know is the terror of God. But I don't know why. I don't know why it's coming. I don't know what, what it's here for. But it's not because I sinned. It's because for some reason God allowed it. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what the reason is. Job chapter 30 from verse 9, he says, And now those young men mock me in song. I have become a byword among them. They detest me and keep their distance, and they do not hesitate to spit in my face. Now they're keeping their distance from him, people who used to come around him. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar to you, my brother, my sister? He says, They detest me and keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Now that God has unstrung my bow and afflicted me again, you see, now he's come to a place where he realizes that this is God's doing. This is God's doing. And has unstrung my bow and afflicted me. They throw off restraint in my presence. Now that they know that, this, now that God is doing this to me, they're mocking me. There's no restraint as to how far they'll go to attack me and mock me. He said, on my right, the tribe attacks. They lay snare for my feet. They build their siege ramps against me. They break up my road. They succeed in destroying me. No one can help him, they say. No one can help him. Verse 14, they advance as though a gaping breach. Amid the ruins, they come rolling in. I'm sorry, I'm reading so fast. Verse 14, they advance as through a gaping breach. Amid the ruins, they come rolling in. Terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. Do you hear that, my brother, my sister? Is this how you're feeling right now? Does this sound familiar? He says, terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. Verse 16, and now my life ebbs away. You feel like you're dying. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for, the live, for all the living. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Verse 25, have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. 
Oh, Jesus. When I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I have become a brother of jackals, a companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My lyre is tuned to mourning. Mourning as in M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. In other words, he's mourning. He's not singing. He's not dancing. His music has turned into darkness. And my pipe to the sound of wailing. Even his music is wailing, is crying, is deep grief. And you find that in um, Job chapter 30 is what we just read. Oh, Jesus, this man suffered beyond the word suffer. And in Job chapter 42, verse 2 to 6, hallelujah. 42, 2 to 6, two more scriptures or so and we're done. Hallelujah. Job chapter 42, 2 to 6. He says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You see, Job is beginning to become enlightened. He says, Surely I thought I knew you. I thought I preached about you. I taught people about you. I evangelized about you. I talked to you. I held sessions and conferences and programs and projects about you. He said, surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. He says, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. My ears had heard of you. (laughs) But now my eyes have seen you. You see what he said to God in verse 5? He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Now my eyes have seen you. The darkness came, my brother, the, the darkness came, my sister, listener, for you to now see God, not just hear of him, And then Job says in verse 6, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I thought I knew you. I had heard about you. I even talked about you. Verse 5, But now my eyes have seen you. Now I know you. I thought I had walked with you, but now I realize I hadn't. Now I know the God that I thought I had walked with. I thought I had heard. I thought I had seen, now I see you, God. And to end, verse 10 to 12 says, after Job had prayed for his friends, so these friends, (laughs) as much as they had irritated him, as much as they had tormented him in his torment, he still went ahead and prayed for them. Now, if that is not someone who has seen God, then I don't know, because most people would reject those friends. Most people would hope that something terrible happened to them. But they're his friends. They're not his enemies. He saw their foolishness. 
So when he saw God, he knew what to do. When you see God, my brother, when you see God, my sister, you know how to handle people. You know how to handle situations. You go beyond your humanity to deal with people and to deal with situations. When you see God, he prayed for his friends. The Lord, and so what did God do when he did that? The Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. God will give you twice as much as you had before, my brother, my sister. So embrace the darkness. By all means, talk to God. By all means, ask Jesus to intercede for you. By all means, pray that someone will come to relieve your pain. By all means, tell God, why are you terrifying me? By all means, curse curse the day you were born. But you're not going to die. You're not going to die. No, you're not. But what God will do is restore your fortunes and give you, my brother, and give you, my sister, twice as much as you had before. Let this be your hope. I pray that this word has blessed you in a way that I can't even express. I don't know. I didn't know how to get it through to you. I just know that you need to stay alive and you will stay alive. And that the scriptures, as many as they have been, and as long as this podcast has been, it's a battle for your soul. It's a fight for your soul that this podcast will help you through and that you'll understand and that you'll go back and read the chapters that we have read and understand what's really going on. Because sometimes, a lot of times, in the place of understanding is our salvation because it gives us relief. It gives us a reprieve to know that. It gives us hope and joy and peace to know that the darkness did not come for nothing that God did not allow the darkness for nothing, that there's a reason behind it, and that you will come out better than you were before, twice as much, twice as much, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the end. God keep you. Father, we thank you. We worship you. We thank you because the darkness will not overwhelm us. The darkness will not overtake us. The terror will not cause us to die, will not cause us to take our lives, but will cause us to see you. And we will be able to say, now my eyes have seen you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my sister. Until next time.